Howdy, everyone. Welcome to Wild Wild Weiss, the community podcast for Calgary Weiss Schwartz. I'm today's host, Igor Squatslov. With me today, we've got Hi Xavier, Lexus, and Kira. Hi Xavier, as y'all know, is the highest ranking Calgary player from the 2019 WGP. Lexus is the two-time champion of the Timbitational in both 2019 and 2020. And Kira is our streamlord. How's everyone doing? Oh, you know, just uh, getting by. Yeah, I think uh, that's all we're trying to do right now. Just get by with our lives and uh, spend time playing Weiss with our friends, right? Yeah, the online scene for Weiss has never been stronger in an effort to keep up our skills. Yeah, no kidding. Although, a bit of Tim hype. You know how I've been saying that I want the Macross Delta set every time we have a set reveal or a set anticipation? I do know. That's changed. Macross Frontier is back on the table, boys. We've <laughs> got a Frontier mini-movie coming with the Delta movie this year, and I am beyond excited. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> it's always good to revive uh, quote-unquote dead franchises back into Weiss. And there's never been a better time. There's re-releases. So many different uh, shows are coming on. And you also have remasters and all those things. So never a better time. Yeah, exactly. Especially with, yeah, as you're saying, there's a bunch of, or a bunch of shows even just getting a long-awaited season twos. Like you got uh, Log Horizon recently got one. Nyon uh, <laughs> Biori after five years. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a great time to be a, a Macross fan, anime fan, and a Weiss fan all around. So, this episode, we've got the panel back together, but we're doing something a little different this time. Today, we're looking at deck building. Hi, Xavier, Kira, and Lyxis are going to share their building ideas and methodologies today. And we'll cap it off with going a bit more detail into a concrete example with Bow Free. I'll have Hi, Xavier, give us a quick high-level summary, and we'll get into specifics. Yeah, so this kind of whole podcast uh, and episode idea came about as I was building numerous decks um in different sets bofri is where i had the most ideas about how to formulate into an actual step-by-step guide whereas adventure time is the other deck i recently built and that that is a much harder set to make work a bit harder to get all of the pieces to line up whereas bofri is this set where you have so many options and so many viable options that it's more of a case of finding what you want to play and then testing it and trying to make it the best it can be rather than finding the quote-unquote best thing about Bowfree. So that's why I kind of wanted to do this uh, episode. So when I got down to it and started actually trying to figure out the order of play for going from no knowledge of the set to a full deck, the first thing I thought of was getting inspired and find a group card or group of cards that you want to build in that set. So this can be as simple as, uh, for example, I built Darn the Franex, or however you say it, um, a while back. And that was, um, for me, the 3-2 Ganesta. That, um, it's an early play that heals and gives memory kick and 2k to front. And that was it. That was the only card I needed to see from that set, and that's what I wanted to build. So I bought into it, found the cards I needed, and now I have a fun deck out of it. And with Bowfree, it was kind of similar. Um, I saw a card called Maple Loving Sacrifice, which is a yellow card, level 3. Um, and it's an early play with two or, le- two or fewer climaxes in your waiting room. Heals on play and has a choice CX. Um, when this attacks, it gains um, opponent across from this gets minus two soul and 2,500 power for the turn. Uh, in, actually, the power is cross turn as well as the ability. And this card was just so cool because it was the first time you could have a minus two soul effect early play. And at the same time, I saw that there was a 3 2. Um, another maple that had another CX combo on pants, which is on play, pay one to stock swap. If you don't know what that is, 
Your opponent places all of their stock in the weighing room, then puts the same number of cards from the top of their library to stock. And then CX combo is uh, Icy Tail, which is put the bottom four cards of your opponent's library in the weighing room and deal X damage to your opponent. X is the number of climax cards among those cards. And, and then on top of that, sorry to keep going, but uh, there's a Pants level one combo too, which is very similar to Slime's level one combo which is mill the top two cards, salvage for the sum of the levels in the cards you sent to waiting room. So you had this like really viable pants choice build where the pants allows you to get the CXs that you need and the choice allows you to, to have this like really cool minus two soul effect. That's what inspired me to buy into Bowfree. So I bought a play set of Bowfree and uh, start building the deck. So Can we my question back up here a second. Yeah, sure. What is Bowfree? So Bowfree is um, I don't want to get hurt, so I'll max out my defense. It's a set where the main character decides to play a MMO RPG type of game and decides to put all their points in vitality, basically creating the most overpowered build in the game. And it's mostly about what would happen if a total noob to MORPGs became the most powerful player in the server. Um, so yeah, really fun. It sounds like you did like this show a lot. Before you even started looking at the cards, did you have a sense that you were just going to be in on Bowfree anyway because you just liked the show? Funny story, I actually don't like Bowfree, all, this, the show all that much, actually. Huh. Um, it, I kind of... I think it's one of those shows I'm probably going to do a rewatch and see if I can enjoy it later. Um, but for right now, it I I had the wrong idea going into it. Um, I thought it would be more of a um, how does an underdog rise to the occasion. It's less of that and more of a cute girls doing cute things, except one's overpowered. Gotcha, gotcha. That's interesting because I personally refuse to buy a Weiss set, cards, boosters, playset, whatever. Unless I've watched or read the series and enjoy it. Hmm. Yeah, I find myself pretty often kind of where David is and to the fact where I will buy into a set that isn't really that good if I really, really like the show. And uh, the fact that I keep trotting out Macross Frontier and building different Macross Frontier decks really does kind of really show that. (laughs) (laughs) I think I'm kind of in a different mindset than most of the most of the guys here because for me it is in some ways enjoying the source material enough but i feel like if i like the series enough i don't have to say love the series but if i feel like the series itself is enjoyable and some of the cards look interesting in it i will definitely buy into it so the prime example of this obviously is soccer wars the set itself wasn't actually that great. The show itself isn't actually that great. And neither is the game itself actually all that good. But just the combination of actually enjoying the source material, having a character in there that I like enough that I want to invest in it, made me actually buy into Soccer Wars and build one one or two decks out of, out of all the cards that I have. It is a case where, yeah, it's not great, but hey, I'm having fun playing it and I'm going to make people play, I'm going to make people face this monstrosity that I've built. You mean the Timvitational Champion deck? <laughs> exactly. The Timvitational Champion winning deck. In my opinion, all of these are legitimate. Um, we don't need a reason to build a Weiss deck. We just, as long as it's fun. Mm-hmm. Oh no, 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 that in itself is the reason, right? You don't need, it doesn't have to be a case where, oh, I have to build a deck around this set because the cards are too good or the meta revolves around this. It is a case where you could just go, I want to build a deck because I want to have fun with this character and these cards. And it's kind of funny because uh, I've I've seen a lot of threads on uh, White Schwartz Reddit over the past month or so where you get a lot of new players asking, it's like, oh, do I... Should I buy into this set? I'm not sure if it's meta, blah, 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 but I like the show. And I think if you like the show or if you think the effects are cool, those are 
both fantastic reasons to build a deck. And I really like that Chad's first point for deck building was just get inspired by something, be it the source material, be it what the cards do, a character you like. Yeah, like, I think the first part of actually making a deck you're going to enjoy playing is getting inspired. So I agree 100% with High Xavier here. I agree. I didn't think uh, getting inspired was uh, included uh, liking the source material. But now that I see that it can include pretty much anything, I agree. Yeah, and and to say, I do also say that getting inspired can just be, I have heard this set is very powerful. I want to build it. Because then at least you have some motivation to work on the deck, build it, try and make it the best it can possibly be. Yeah, and even if that's the case of, oh, I'm only playing this deck because this card is busted and I want to like destroy people with it, that's still a valid reason. So, I think my favorite justification I've seen for a deck was from uh, someone who's, who does play every so often, uh, built what he called the meat deck, where he just found the buffest dudes he could and slammed them into a deck, and it worked. Yeah, that's true. I also remember when someone played two Milky Homes, um... Not trial decks, but the other word for trial. Um, and yeah, he just wanted to have fun, and that's totally legitimate. Hey, he got into top eight for a shop challenge with that. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so, David, you recently built Kagia. Um, what was like, kind of your motivation for building that deck? Uh, well, like I said, I only build uh, sets that... I enjoy the source material of. And Kaguya, I really do enjoy reading the manga. I haven't watched the anime, but that's neither here nor there. So Kaguya being one of my favorite manga that I'm reading currently, I just, as soon as I saw that it was getting set, I was like, I have to buy this. So I bought a playset, pre-ordered a playset. And I didn't know what kind of deck I was going to build um, when I saw the cards of the day. And honestly, that's probably what is going to happen for the rest of my life. I'll never know what I'm going to build uh, based on the card of the day. I just go off it uh, once I see all the cards at once. Actually, it's funny. We were having a conversation with Kilua earlier, and he said uh, like one of his w ways of kind of scouting out what he wants to build is just following card of the day. So it's amazing that just between five of us here, there's just so many different ways of approaching this. And I love it. Oh, yes, I totally agree. So yeah, and then... After that, as soon as you've uh, felt inspired by something, I think the next step in deck building is just searching out, like this would be after the uh, full card list has been spoiled, is just going after the CX combos. As, so as I said before, when I was figuring out Bofri, I looked up certain CX combos and said, I want to play that. And I think that was just uh, lucky that... It just so happened that the cards I was looking at were CX combo cards. But funny enough, after playing the deck for a while, I actually decided to change up my level one game for Bofuri. I went from putting in pants CXs and trying to fit that in to going to a more a choice build. And it was primarily because I had I had to choose which CX combo I wanted to play and like focus exclusively on making that the best it can be. So I realized that the Icy Tail, the uh, Blue Maple, was not working out quite as good for me. And I decided, what if I just went purely, this is the choice build, and let's go as much into it as humanly possible. So I actually went to the level one CS combo for Bowfree, which basically... It's a, it's a very interesting card. So what it does is basically for every copy of the CX in your uh, waiting room, you when you play the CX with the character, you can salvage that level of card. So if there's three, it's the Maple Tree CX and Maple Guildmaster. If you have three Maple Trees in your waiting room, you can uh, on play, you can salvage a, any level three character and put it into your hand. And the card states, when you attack, you don't need the CX for this. When you attack, you may pay cost, and you reveal any number of the level three early play Maple Loving Sacrifice that I was talking about. 
And if so, until the end of your turn, you gain X power. X equals the number of cards revealed times 1,500. So this is a possible 10K level one cross turn, which is insane. And the other fun thing about it is it really changes the way you play the deck really early, which is you want to mill out as much as possible to get those CXs into your waiting room. And then you want as many copies of this level one card and the level three card in your hand as humanly possible. So your characters are as powerful as they can be. And it's just a fun way to play rather than worrying about, oh, do I have this card in my hand? Do I have this card in my hand? It's like, I just want as many level one combo cards as possible and level three cards in my hand as possible. And that's where I found the most enjoyment out of the set. And that's why I've switched over to it in my latest build. It's funny because uh, I find with climax combo, sometimes I'm, I'm like, okay, here's where we go. And we're going to put this combo, this combo together. And then like when I'm kind of in my standby brain, it's like, do I even want the climax combo here? So it's just such a funny way to think about it. What we're thinking about the climax combos versus just once you kind of have your deck objective set out, just filling it out. <laughs> I f yeah, I feel like the objective sometimes doesn't come immediately when you start building a deck. It's only when you start putting some cards in, realizing what seems fun, then you start building the objective. Because uh, Chad mentioned the first thing he did was look at climax combos. Admittedly, that's also usually the first thing I look at. But there are some sets or some decks where you might not want to do that first, right? Mm hmm Like, uh, when I was building Kimono, frankly, uh, I don't actually run Climax combos in that deck. A lot of it was like, okay, how am I going to abuse these cool events, or how am I going to draw this game out and just grind my opponent down as excruciatingly as possible? Like, that was just, that was my aim. I didn't need Climax combos for it, I just needed constant event abuse. Right. Because the Climax combos weren't, like, super amazing in Kimono Friends. Well, some of them were good, but some of them were just kind of detrimental to what I want, were kind of at odds with what I wanted to do. Right, sorry, I meant in comparison to the rest of the cards in the set. Oh yeah, in comparison to me just sitting there turning, like, having zombie profiles while turning stock sideways. So, uh, just for a quick uh, rundown of what Kimono Friends used to do is, uh, you had this absurd stock engine where you would take an alpaca character whose ability was tap this and take a character from waiting room and put into stock. So you put one or two of those in the back row. You have a level three character that has a really easy early play condition, especially because the deck has a really easily loopable free fresher with uh, two climaxes or less in your waiting room. You can play it down and then you can search for events. So of course, you have level two, one stock heal events, which dodge heal tax. You have multiple options for early play heal. You have tap counters, you have uh, bounce back to hand counters, you have this one level one reverser where if you play a salvage event from ha hand during your opponent's your, your opponent's turn, uh, it, I think it also top decks the card that it reverses. So it just does all this disgusting stuff. And it does none of this with climax combos. I would say that's Kind of a black sheep, though. I believe, oh, yeah. <laughs> in my experience, most decks rely on the Climax combos to work. Yeah. Unless you're, like, hard here or something. Yeah, true. I think it's interesting that you say that, because I feel like there's, there's a certain case to be made about just having a general game plan set in place for your deck so obviously a climax combo could very well be a part of that plan itself but as in tim's case here with his komodo friends deck it is a case where the climax combo isn't actually all that important or like in any way really used for that game plan and i feel like that's a very important thing at the very least to have when you are deck building it is just having a general idea of how you want your deck to play with or without a climax combo because it is a case where unless you have a specific idea for what your deck is going to be doing trying to build a deck just by looking at climax combos 
can be a little detrimental because it could be a case where you see a set has four or five very good climax combos. They do a whole bunch of different things, but they're all using different climaxes. So you have to make a decision of, okay, which climax combo am I going to try to fit inside of my deck? Rather than thinking, okay, my objective is to do X. Which of these climax combos from this set helps me in achieving X? I think that's a very uh, legitimate way of looking at it, but I don't think it's the only way of looking at it. I think that having an objective from the get-go, or maybe not from the get-go, might not always come into play. There are times when people might play like just good cards dot deck. Uh, usually, when the set doesn't have very many um, cards that work off each other, and also for uh, more climax combos than you can put in a deck, uh, I think that comes down to mostly uh, play testing. In my case, I would just pick one, play for a week. Next week, try a different one. That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like for me, I, and I guess through my process, the objective comes from testing. Like, you you basically put a 50 cards together, and just to maybe go into a bit more of that, just so we can then talk about it in, like, all together. The, the next steps are review all the rare and double rare cards and the colors you chose for your CX combo. And then search out and find new interest, like find out decks that people have already been brewing and like figure out what they're doing. And for me, the objective comes from the, the testing part. After you've put together the deck with the cards you're inspired to and the CXs that you like, and then you might find out that these CXs don't work together or the card that you were really hyped about isn't as interesting, but maybe another card starts hyping you. So I feel like for me, the objective comes from just hammering out a ton of games, which I'll go into later, but um, hammering out a ton of games and figuring out, does this set of cards even work, you know? It's funny because I don't think I can do something like that because I like to kind of have my macro strategy kind of, okay, in general, I want to go this way. And then I tweak the tactics as I go. I feel it's interesting that you say that because I want to get your guys' guys thoughts on how exactly do climaxes affect the strategy of your deck. So say for example, does adding a climax combo resolving revolving around a standby climax affect the strategy of a deck? Standby is a weird example because it's so much different from other triggers. It's true. If you were to compare any other two triggers, you you could weigh the pros and cons of each. But standby, you kind of have to build around. Yeah, and that's kind of what makes like Kimono and uh, Fujimi Bunko such black sheep decks. Mm Mm-hmm. Because you're playing around standby. Because you have elected to operate standby, your tactical flow reflects your choice to operate with standby. Um, more so than others. But I think one of the biggest things is I think your strategy is determined at the deck building stage. While your tactics are heavily influenced by the way the game evolves. And kind of your tech choice. Like your tech choices and your, how you've envisioned your ramp. But yeah, like the deck's core strategy is really, really determined with the cards you bring in. It's the difference between uh, setting up your infantry squares with artillery support going in at the beginning of the day versus Company A forming an infantry square while Company B is deciding to do an impromptu flank. They affect the flow of battle, the order of battle, and the results of battle. But one was determined, one is predetermined by what what resources you've brought to bear for combat versus what is the momentary bo- battle flow, if that makes sense. I didn't know you studied warp. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's fun. I think that's very important when you're building a deck is uh, knowing 
okay, given these resources that I'm bringing to bear, what do I expect them to do? And uh, you should have an idea of what you're building towards and definitely the way that Chad's kind of laid this out. I think that it is an objective base where it's like, here's these cool cards I want to work with. My objective is winning the way these cards, I think they work. The rest of this is building out to achieve that objective and then figuring out the tactics along the way. Of course, all the best plans of mice and men never survive initial contact with the enemy. <laughs> <laughs> so the winning way to play Weiss is to just not play? <laughs> just never build a deck and never play. <laughs> that is clearly the only way to effectively win at Weiss. Um, anyway. Uh, <laughs> we, we at Wild Wild Weiss do not uh, condone uh, the idea of not building Weiss and playing Weiss. We wish you to please keep playing Weiss. Play Weiss yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of going back to Adrian's question and David's rejoinder, your choice of climax does really affect your flow of play because that usually affects like unless you're going climax combo less well even if where you are it's affect it's affecting okay what comes up when i trigger how am i setting up my combo at level one or am i setting up at level one or even level two uh what is my end game uh would you all agree actually now that i think about it when i was building kaguya I basically had two choices for the level what combo. One, and they basically did the same thing. Uh, they were both on reverse search, except one was standby and the other was book. Now, the thing is, spoiler alert, I did not go with standby. I went with book. Now, the reason for this is because the standby combo actually could not get as much power as the book one. And for something that needs to reverse, I felt like the trade-off of being able to play standby, which I do admittedly like more than book usually, um, was not worth possibly not getting my combo off. That had knock-on effects, right? Like you probably played less beat sticks or you uh, played cards that allowed you to get a bit more of a rapid flow. Exactly. If I had played the standby, I probably would have played some 2-2s, but as it is now, I don't play any 2-2s. I have some 2-1s that can get really big uh, in trade. But aside from that, yeah, there's not really any beat sticks. So kind of the next thing I wanted to go into was the community's effect on deck building. This was kind of the part where I started looking at Encore decks and other fabulous websites out there looking for like different deck ideas, uh, what people were building. Because I think it helps out in numerous ways. One, it helps out with the level zero game because it's hard to like figure out exactly which level zeros are worth your time and attention. Figuring out what people are already playing, it's like, oh, that might be a really good card that I can just slot in as a tech card. The example for this in my deck was I was watching some... Uh, I was watching um, different builds for Bofuri, and I saw that people were playing the runner, a free runner that has an accelerate effect and in an early play green card that combos with it. That was two cards that I ultimately put into the deck, and they've been working out really well for me. And I would have never even thought to put them in the deck because when I first read them, I didn't think they were that strong. But the more I heard about people playing them and their reasoning for playing with them, that's why they went into the deck. So I guess my question to you guys is, what is the community's effect on deck building when you guys have built your decks? I would say it varies a lot from set to set. There have been times where I just net decked and just took a deck that topped in Japan and built it myself. But there are other times, usually when I like the the source material more. I'd like to try to build a deck from scratch myself. For instance, in the case of Kaguya, that's what I did. I built the deck from scratch. Then I looked at the Encore decks decks. Like I said earlier, um, I chose the book combo instead of the standby combo. I noticed a lot of people playing the standby combo over the book combo. But even though I saw so many people playing it, I'm like, I don't really want to. I feel much the same way in terms of the way I go about deck building. 
So most of the decks that I currently play, I have built almost completely from scratch without any community influence. Obviously, I get community feedback after playing the decks, but in terms of the just the very initial build, I almost always take a look at the cards that are available and try to strategize within my head about, okay, which cards do I need to be using? Which cards are going to be useful? And trying to fit those within the deck itself. So I feel one of the best examples of this would probably be a Persona 5 deck that I am playing right now. It is a red, yellow Persona build that revolves around, obviously, the Joker endgame. However, instead of using the Ryuji level 3 at the end, it uses the on level 3. And obviously, I could see that the benefits of using the Ryuji, just because you do have the ability to bounce and ensure a empty slot, basically ensuring you have one lane of attacks where you won't get boned by a backup or any other shenanigans like that. But I feel the on adds its own certain quality to the deck just because its own climax combo it uses. It gains power, it burns, it gains additional stock on reverse. So there's different benefits that I could see. And because of that, I feel not exactly that I know better than the community, but I acknowledge the community's thoughts on what is good. I just choose to substitute that reality for my own. And of course, that always comes down to playstyle of the player, because not everyone can play the same way. Yes, I completely agree with that statement. Yeah, because you tend to be a bit more of an aggressive player than most <laughs> well, it's just something Definitely. I observe. Face is the place, as people say. I would say I'm more of an aggressive player too. Even though there are some sets where minus two, minus soul to the opponent's uh, field might be better, I will never play that just because I dislike it. Yeah, well, like I know I'm a very, I'm a defensive and power-minded player, so I tend to. Like, if my decks do deviate from the meta, it's in the direction of, okay, but I want my field to stay around. Right. Like, Kimono, I'll play Otter, because most people aren't su suspecting, oh, he just gave that 4,000. <laughs> like, that's one of the things where I find it's always, to borrow a word from finance, not to use its exact meaning, marking to market is always a good idea. So basically, okay, here's my asset. What's it worth on the market? Oh, okay we match our book and our market values. But basically going out, what are people actually doing? What are people actually valuing these cards at? Am I out to lunch here? And then figuring out how much of that deviance is due to my own taste and the way that I play it and how much of it is, no, I'm out to lunch. And I think that sort of calibration exercise is really important. But I know uh, when I like to build decks, I like to, I usually like to freehand it a bit first. I think the only recent deck where I haven't done that was Fujimi Bunko, but I'd seen it enough that I knew that I liked what it did. Yeah, and I think there's there's always a difference between I'm taking an original build and then tweaking it based on what I see versus I'm taking someone else's build and then tweaking it to sit, fit my play style, right? Mm. And I think those two are very different things. I I usually try and stay away from just taking a build and tweaking it to my taste unless you're going for that really tournament style i want to win it to try and win and get a high placing in the tournament which is why i play slime and i've kind of given up on trying to build it my way i just build it the way that works and have good success with it usually but the uh, maple garden angel the level three i was talking about with Bofri. Um, putting it was a card that I saw out in the wild that I was like, you know what? I'm already in green in a lot of ways. That's put this in as a tweak. And now my deck has been better because of it. So definitely different ways to look at community feedback for your deck. 
Yeah, for sure. And like twice is a social game too, right? So it'd be kind of weird if you're not comparing your deck to other decks. I think there's something to be said about obviously community feedback is very important, right? I don't think it should ever take away from your own playstyle and your taste or because there's very often times that where I feel the community can generate an impression upon a card that you may like and they'll tell you you should probably cut this card out because it's bad but I at some point you have to just go with your gut feeling and continue playing what you like the other side to that is lots of people well not lots of people everyone has their own play group and their play group plays differently from our play group or the next play group or, or what have you so you gotta think well you don't have to but i would think about what the people that you're going to play with what their play style is like so if a card that's not good in one play group is good in another play group, then that changes how good the card is. Yeah, and it's funny uh, with the very strong popularity of online platforms like Bushy Road Remote Fight, we have a really good opportunity to kind of break out of our usual groups and just play with people we almost we never play with and probably will never play with again just to get more of a feel for Weiss groups around Canada, the US, around the world, because it's very different. Yeah, the WGP in North America that Harley Cards posted online this year, or last year, I guess, uh, really showed me how diverse the Weiss community as a whole is. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Evo was really good for that as well. Oh, yes. So, yeah. And then the last point I kind of wanted to make with just um, everything here was I believe in testing a lot. And I believe in it so strongly that I feel like once you have that 50-card deck, you might think it's bad. You might think, I have no idea what this deck is trying to do. Just playing games against yourself, which I admit I do on TTS when I first build the deck, is like so good because it shows you which cards you like, which cards aren't working for you. If a card stays in your hand for multiple turns without really doing anything, it's a card you might want to consider cutting. And then just testing against people, going, hey, I just want to play out a ton of games. If I get six CXs in my opening hand, that's just reset because I just need to feel how this deck plays out and what is its usual play patterns. How does it deal with, for example, does it have the right ratio of colors? Does it have the right ratio of level cards? So, for example, is there too many or too few level zeros? And what to level? What are the cards I'm willing to put into the level zone? And which cards am, do I not like to put in the level zone? But at least, you know what? This card isn't going to be needed in this quantity in my deck going forward in this game. And that's when, again, just to stress, like that's when I feel like the objective comes out because that's when you're testing so much that the objective comes naturally because that's what you want to do with the cards you have in your hand most of the time. But I guess what, how do you guys feel about testing? Do you guys test a lot in that really early stages of the, of the deck, or do you kind of wait until um, you have a more coherent thought and a coherent objective to test? See, I find it really interesting that you kind of separate testing and playing because from my point of view i'm never not testing like as soon as i build the deck i start playing and i don't consider that testing i just consider that playing and i just i'm never not thinking about how to change the deck or play it differently like up to the last time i ever play a deck god forbid i'm thinking about ways to improve I, I guess from my perspective, I feel like if I don't have that distinction, I think about the deck forever. And I, maybe it has something to do with the way my brain works, is that I almost stress 
out about the deck. Like, oh, what if I switch this card with this card as a one of? And it just like gets to the point where I have to almost like put the deck away and say, it's good enough. It's fine. I need to stop thinking about it. Uh, I can see that because uh, I feel like that's almost similar to people who can't leave their work at work. I I'm certainly a person who can leave their work at work. And just uh, as soon as I'm done with something, just stop thinking about it until the next time I need to deal with it. But I recognize that there are many people who cannot do that. I think I agree with what Kira is saying here. Yeah, making the distinction between leaving something at work and being able to, or not being able to leave work as work. Because I feel like, in my experience, it's you're never not trying to improve your deck whether that's tweaking your play style around the deck or tweaking how the deck itself is played every time you come up against a new deck you have to formulate new strategies and i feel at that point you're definitely you're definitely testing things out you're seeing how your deck responds to certain triggers certain character matchups, certain uh, events and all those things. Or one of the biggest examples that I can think of right now is what happens when your deck is facing, say, Milky Homes or things of that sort where there's a lot of shenanigans that are happening, where things are being shifted in and out of the level zone and that's giving them power and all those things versus, say, what happens when you're facing facing a slime deck, which does things in a completely different manner. So every time you come up against a new deck, or even if you're coming up against the same deck, you're always testing things out, whether or not that's just strategy changes or deckless changes. I think it's a very iterative process, and I think I'm someone who appreciates structuring it a bit. Like, okay, I'm going to play about five or 10 games, see where it goes. Do I need to change the resources I'm bringing to bear or do I need to change my tactical approach? And it's just very much iterating. Yeah, constantly iterating the deck. Although it's funny because that you talk about people who can leave their work at home because I'm someone who definitely brings home work and uh, does it until the late evening if, <laughs> if I'm left to my own devices. I feel like this situation right now is kind of one of those situations, or the... The situation that we what? find ourselves in currently with the pandemic and everything is kind of it skews our perspective a little bit, I feel. Just because oh, I thought you were talking about the fact that we're recording a White Schwartz podcast at ten thirty PM on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's I cannot something... think of a better way to spend my time. That's I can't think of a better way to spend my time either. <laughs> Wild Wild Weiss is my favorite podcast in all the world. Please show more. <laughs> okay, let me do that again. Wild Wild Weiss is my favorite podcast on the Citadel. And Thank you. favorite stream <laughs> and favorite blog. Please buy our Cheerios. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, we if have we our merch spot at the end. <laughs> if we had merchandise, we would uh, show this now too. Yo, those play mats. <laughs> But yeah, I, I agree. I think tactics-wise, it's you're always learning. Every time you play the deck against a new deck or a new opponent, you're learning which tactics you should use, which way should you play the deck. I just think for composition-wise, I kind of have to let the deck sit and mature and figure out how to play it optimally before I can then go back into it and say, oh, I'm going to do some more testing and figuring out it do i need to change cards i guess that's how i kind of look at it but i i understand that for other people i'll they will switch cards in and out based on how they're feeling about the deck through its entire lifespan and they don't divvy it up as i do but which i i find interesting and and that's why i kind of wanted to have you guys on is to to round out and uh, give me and the people at home new interesting ideas about how to deck build and how to look at it. So, a quick question: Do you preserve your lists as you iterate through them? Most of the time, I do. Uh, I keep 
when I make a change in real life in my deck, I ch make that change also on Encore decks, unless I forget. No, no, um, I mean, like, I keep, like, a living record of my deck, so it's, like, I usually do, like, oh. a photo and a written record, so I, like, here's my initial build, then it's next, it's, like, this in, this out, this in, this out, and then I keep kind of notes of what I liked, what I didn't, so I can easily revert. Oh, gotcha. I do not. I just, I just always only keep uh, what my latest build is. I'm of the same idea. I'm of the same thought. It's... I may have a thought on... I may keep a memory of how the deck was maybe one or two iterations ago, but I feel like that's the most that I'll ever remember exactly how previous builds of a deck were. Most of the time, it is just a case where I play however I've changed it, and I'll never go back. Mm. Yeah, that's that's kind of the same for me. I keep iterations of builds until I am sure that I'm never going to play that build ever again for one reason or another. Yeah, I guess it's one thing that I've always liked to kind of keep a track of, okay, this is where I'm going, this is why I've changed it. And it's like, for me, every so often I want to just kind of step back and look at the macro pictures. like Because when you play a deck for a while, you really get into the specific incarnation of the deck at its current point. And I think it's always helpful to kind of step back. It's like, oh, I have made a lot of changes. Do I like them in aggregate? Or would I would I mix some old structure back in? I've definitely done uh, reversions where I've taken some structural elements from a version of the deck a year ago and put it back in. I guess I don't really keep a record of old decks, but I I just remember what my old iterations were generally like and then if i ever need to make a reversion i just uh change the deck again into something that was similar to what it was before so yeah i guess i do kind of keep a record but it's all in my head okay yeah cause i tend to do either photo like i know when i was doing pokemon decks i keep excel sheets of my ah. builds and their ratios i haven't made a sheet for weiss yet uh, because Encore exists. But uh, yeah, usually what I'll do is uh, I'll keep a photo journal of each build and then note the changes that I made. Uh, last year, I basically wrote a living blog of me playtesting and updating Kimono Friends after the ban list. And that's kind of what my structure looks like for playtesting, noting what I liked, what I didn't like in my changes. Because I think I was bringing a fairly different deck to weeklies every week just based on okay the main build doesn't work anymore okay how do i change this oh i can try this trigger i can try this this these cards i'm gonna move this in move this out and some of the changes were fairly radical some worked some didn't and it was good for me just to okay you've tried this before this is why in particular you don't like it i feel like there's a certain degree of um personal preference in order like to do that i feel like it is a case where there's a certain impression that the deck makes on you when you're going through those iterations right so personally based on the impression that the deck makes at that point it'll tell you what sort of changes that you need to make and i'm not sure at least in my view that keeping a record available really benefits you at that point. Well, it's like I know what, uh, and this is, I'm going to use video games as an example. Uh, I was playing uh, Tales of Symphonia, Dawn of the New World, and I booted it up. It's like, I don't remember why I didn't, I stopped playing this. And then as I started playing, it's like, oh, I remember. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I do, like, I do hit that problem myself quite a, quite often as well, where I'll stop playing a game, and then I'll pick it back up, and I'll be like, I don't remember what I was doing, where I was, who I am, what's going on, and I don't remember why I stopped. And you start playing, it's like, this is why I stopped. Exactly. <laughs> but then I feel, like, I feel like your deck is kind of a living record of that itself, where at some point, you'll play through the deck... And you'll remember, oh, 
now I remember why I had to make certain changes or why I was looking to make changes to my deck just based on how the current, how your previous game went or how your current game is going. And yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, and this is actually kind of funny to bring up right at the end is that I actually have a new iteration of this deck that I haven't done any testing on, but it's basically just me going, but what if I did play that Icy Tail card that I cut a while ago in my new newest build? And just seeing if that fits and that that even works at all. Even so though I, I did... hear you on Wednesday saying, oh, that's why I cut it. We'll know exactly what happened. Basically, yeah. That's <laughs> kind of like, uh, it, mostly it's just I had a game where the opponent did what I was trying to do better than I did, and this deck doesn't really have a lot of finishing power. So we'll see what happens. And Pants is a great trigger, so we'll, again, see what happens. But it, the, my, I might just revert back to my 8-choice build and call it a day. But, mm. yeah, that that's what the... That's what Weiss is. It's trying to make your deck the best it can be. As an eight standby player, finishing is overrated. Hey, there are some standby finishes. That's true. There I are some one. pretty dank ones, yes. Kage has good one. I tried it, and I don't like it. <laughs> Data Lives <laughs> looks fun. That might be the first set I buy into that I have never watched. Guys, guys, slime, slime two, <laughs> that spicy standby finisher. Oh yeah, <laughs> Millum. the new Millum. Now that that one is gonna be a spicy deck. But guys, we just have Ifrit. That's all. Is Ifrit a standby? I didn't no. Know standby. Oh, okay. He just burns things. <laughs> nice. That's like all it. you need. That is true. That is true. Just... All right. Give them seven straight off. All right. That about wraps us up for today. We hope you enjoyed listening to us to talk about deck building in Weiss because it was a ton of fun to delve right into. If you did, make sure you subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Podcasts, as well as other podcast platforms where you like to listen to your podcasts. Search Wild Wild Weiss. Check us out on YouTube as well, Wild Wild Weiss. If you want to check out our written work, head on over to wildwildweiss.wordpress.com. Follow us on Twitter at Wild Wild Weiss or check out Calgary Weiss Schwartz community on Facebook or Discord. Until next time, this has been Igor Squatslav. I'm Kira. And I'm Lexus. And I'm Hank Xavier. Be seeing you. And I hope to see y'all next time.